Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thank you again for joining me here at the back of the range. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 28. Hope that everyone had a fun 4th of July for people here in the United States. As you all know, the 4th fell on a Wednesday this year. Normally, we release our weekly episodes on a Wednesday. But that being said, while I know you're all enjoying this podcast, it's hard to compete with fireworks, hot dogs, and excessive amounts of alcohol. Therefore, we took the day off yesterday, but now we're ready to move forward with a very exciting episode. It's a bit of a first for us, actually. I'll explain that a little bit later. By the way, if you want to learn more about this podcast, where you can find and download all the episodes, head over to thebackoftherange.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're everywhere. You'll find that information in the show notes of this episode. So at the beginning of each and every episode so far, you've heard our friend Mitch Phillips say, sometimes the best stories aren't found on tour. Well, this week's guest is actually on the PGA Tour. Our guest this week is PGA Tour rookie Austin Cook. Austin played collegiately at the University of Arkansas, and then he made his way through the mini tours, and he captured early success in Monday qualifiers and won the RSM Classic this year in only his fourth tournament as a full-time member of the PGA Tour. We spoke about his start in golf, life on the tour, and the charities like the St. Jude Children's Hospital that he tirelessly supports. So Austin, greatly appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. No, absolutely. So uh, we were speaking a little bit before we started recording this episode, and we talked a little bit, obviously, about the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. Um, unfortunately, you're not there to play in your second consecutive major, but uh, I have a slightly outside-the-box hypothetical question for you. If this event was not run by the USGA and it wasn't a major, it was just the Shinnecock Invitational with all that weather and the speed of those greens and the course setup. Being, so, being, so, being, I think you know where I'm going here with this, but being someone that has that's a winner on the PGA Tour that can set his own schedule, are you putting this one on your calendar? <laughs> Probably not. Okay. All right. I just uh, no, I don't look forward to uh, going to courses just to beat myself up. Okay. Um, but I will say that extremely hard golf courses i feel like i do well on because statistics may not show it but i'm pretty straight off the tee box and you know i usually hit the ball generally where i'm where i'm looking so i don't have a whole lot of speed so the ball doesn't produce a whole lot of spin so it doesn't go that far offline um typically and um but this would be one that i would definitely consider taking off Okay, well, and and I'm assuming if you're saying that, uh, that's not going to be a uh, too outside the box comment from some of your other uh, colleagues on the PGA Tour. Just if it's not a major, this just doesn't look very fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, but some guys would look at it as an opportunity to you know to win. I mean, every week is still an opportunity to win sure. and you know to increase your points or whatever. But I think depending on where it fell on the schedule. Um, there would probably be a good chance that I would take it off. So we, we kind of start these episodes just kind of getting an idea of how each person got into the into the game of golf. Uh, I know that yeah. you have a lot of family that, that's in and around the game, but just briefly, can you uh, let us know how you started playing and how the game was introduced to you as a child? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, my dad is the one who introduced me to the game. Um, he, you know, they gave me plastic clubs when I was, you know, like two years old. I'd like, I, he'd take me out to the golf course with them and I'd ride around in the cart and get out and hit my little plastic ball about 10 feet and sure. he'd pick it up and I'd get back in the cart and we'd go to the next shot. Um, but he got introduced to the game from his father. My, my grandfather was, uh, played professional golf. He played on the PJ tour a little bit. Um, I think he played about 70 events or so in the sixties and seventies. Um, and, um, he was a club pro in Minneapolis at a few different courses throughout his career. And, um, so that's kind of how the game got introduced to our family and then, and then introduced to myself. And your, your grandfather's name, I have it in my, in my notes here. His name's John. So, you know, John Cook. Yeah. I, 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 I'm John not, Cook. Okay. So unfortunately it's not the John Cook. No, but no, to you, he is the John Cook. He but, is but, a John yeah, Cook. Yeah. But, but like when you're out there, I mean, how many times just have you just, oh, are you, are you related to John Cook? I mean, I'm sure you get that all the time, right? You know, surprisingly, I haven't got it a whole lot at all. Okay. Um, right. I think. Well, he's New, California. He's kind like of California. John too. Cook, yeah, and and just they're like, oh yeah, you're not related. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no, watch me hit a ball. Maybe, maybe you'll think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. but no, that, that's actually I've never thought about that. But yeah, no, I haven't got that a whole lot at all. Okay, interesting. All right, so, mm-hmm. um, so you you make it over to you, you go to school at the University of Arkansas. And I did. you study biology and you're, you're pulling down pretty good grades, just right around a 4.0. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess my question is a lot of college students that are getting into college golf, they're immediately thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the PGA tour. This is what I definitely want to do. But that really yeah. wasn't the case for you. Was it? I definitely wanted to be on the PGA tour. Um, I didn't have confidence in my skill level. Okay. Um, and I, and I always knew that I didn't want to be that guy who's still, you know, I mean, good for the guys who are doing it. Right. But I didn't want to personally be the guy who's 30 years old and still trying to make it on tour. You wanted to know as quickly um, as possible, hey, is this going to work or is this not? Exactly. Okay. And I wanted to, I, you know, because I, I did. I wanted to be, you know, married, you know, in my mid-20s and hopefully have kids by 30 and, you know, that kind of thing in, in life. And. I wanted to be able to provide for them and, you know, the best, the best way that I could. And I didn't want to still be chasing many tours when I was, you know, when I was 30. And, um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not dogging on the guys who, who are doing that and still chasing their dream. That's just, that was just my personal belief. And, um, I, you know, going into college, I didn't really win anything big, no big amateur events. Um, I never won in college. Um, but after college, you know, something just kind of started clicking and, uh, I started playing really good golf and, um, realizing that my study finishes and, and consistency in college really pays off whenever you get out here and you start playing for money. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, soon after college, I, I got into my first PGA event, which actually was Memphis and, um, made the cut on the number and on the weekend I played great and finished T 11 or T 13. Oh crap. I don't remember one of those for my first ever PGA event. Sure. And, um, that was kind of answer for me 
saying, okay, this is what I can do this and, and I can play golf and compete against these guys. Now just how do I get to the PJ tour? Your, your way apparently, uh, which is just incredible with your statistics on at Monday qualifiers. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't get that. Uh, cause you just explain to me the mentality that you have to go into to be successful at a Monday qualifier. Is it completely different than other uh, realms of, of tournament golf, whether it's a 36-hole qualifier or you're uh, you know, playing a regular web event. How do you go into mm-hmm. it and say, forget about everything. I got to go crazy to shoot 64. Yeah. Um, for me personally, you know, when I had my game plan didn't really change a whole lot from, you know, a tournament round to the Monday qualifying round. I still wanted to, you know, hit the ball in the fairway. But my main objective was to get the ball on the green or if I miss the green, just right there, you know, next to the hole and give myself the most amount of birdie opportunities that we can. Sure. Because the more opportunities, you know, my percentage of converting them may go down, but the more opportunities, the more I'm going to make. And um, whether it's from five feet or it's 45 feet, I mean, or 50 feet, you know, it's just, just getting myself on the green. Sure. And, um, you know, in those qualifiers it kind of frees you up to hit a little more aggressive shots because you're playing 120 guys for four spots maybe even more guys than that and you have to go low so you're forced to try and go low i mean for you know lack of better words sure so and so it frees you up to kind of just try and pull off certain shots get the ball a little closer to the hole be a little more aggressive on your putting you know you're not you're not playing for money that day. So, you know, if you run one, four feet by and you miss the comeback or well, you know, you wasn't meant to be. So be it, you know, exactly. You know, you're just, it's just not your day to, to make, but it's not, you know, it's not like you're trying to two putt for a million dollars. Right. So you, you, you try and, you know, jar it in the hole sometimes, um, good confidence strokes on your putting and your swinging and, and just, if you can get one birdie, try and get another and just keep the ball rolling. Sure. And and before you got into money qualifiers, before we start going that route, you you were on the mini tour for for quite some time. So you you turned pro in twenty fourteen, played the Adams tour, mm-hmm. and now I know that you were just by doing some of the research, you basically were kind of, I guess, funded in house, so to speak, by by family members. Is is there extra pressure with that, or did you have the opportunity to to get outside sponsors? I guess the reason I'm asking is because there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that are. Uh, whether they're still in college or they're they're chasing it, and there's so many different ways to go about it. Whether it's getting an outside sponsor, having family members, you know, selling yeah. shares, so to speak, of, of your future earnings. Um, you know, was there a conscious decision of how you were going to go about doing that? Um, so when I made the decision to start trying to play, my um, my dad sat me down and um, he said, "Look, I don't want you to." Um, have to go out and basically sell yourself to people. Um, I don't want you to have to split shares with anybody. I, over the last few years, I knew this was coming and I saved up a little money for you, um, to get you started. And, um, that way you don't have pretty much. So I don't have to worry about paying anybody back or, you know, those relationships or anything like that. He said, this is yours, you know, do what you want with it. Obviously don't go buy a new car or something, put this (laughs) to your golf. And, um, I was, you know, fortunate with having a father that did that for me. And then I was fortunate with 
in June of 2014, getting out and making my own money on, in that PGA event. Right. And then I was able to, I never really dipped into the pot of my, you know, that my father gave me and I gave it back to him because then I could take care of myself yeah. um, at the time with, with money. But, you know, even coming out, I think they helped me. My parents helped me with my first couple um, entry fees into the Adams events. And then I was able to make enough money to where I was covering my travel and covering my, you know, entry fees and, you know, from that money as well. But then when the Memphis, the PGA event happened, then I was really able to comfortably and, um, I didn't have to, you know, need their help sure. with that anymore. But, you know, still at that point, I was still on their insurance and all that kind of stuff. Right, but the right. golf side of it, I was able to take care of myself. I guess this kind of leads into another thing about, you know, time management and, and handling your own career in the early days. You know, now you're, mm-hmm. you're, a, you're a member of the PGA Tour, you're a winner on the PGA Tour, but starting out on the Adams Tour, uh, I'm sure you don't have the team around you then that you have now. Um, just how hard is it for the day to day when you're on the, the mini tours or you're, you're, you know, early in your career to balance or right, yeah. register, I got to travel, I got to find hotel and rental car and I still have to pay bills at home. And I mean, mm-hmm. sp- speak to how hard that is when you're starting out. The mini tours are just a grind as it is. I mean, you know, you're going out, you're playing these guys who a lot of them have been on the web in the past and they're not playing this week and they just want something to play in or, um, you know, guys who are, I've played with some guys who are XPGA players. I mean, they're really good players out there yeah. um, on some of those mini tours and it's still not a cakewalk. No. Um, so you're paying, depends on what tour, but you know, I've, I've heard numbers anywhere from 700 to 1500 to get into an event. And if you finish, make the cup to finish last, you may not make your money back. So it, it's, you know, and winners take home about, 20 to 30,000. I mean, it's, it's, it's really tough just to make any kind of money out there. You still have to play really well. And, you know, so you're, you're driving everywhere cause you know, you don't have the budget to fly and rent a car and do all that stuff. So you're driving, you know, eight, 10 hours between events. Um, most of the mini tours are kind of in sections of the United States. And so, you know, like the one I played, the Adams tour was Texas, Louisiana, in Oklahoma where, yeah. where most of the events were and they were kind of where you could drive between them and they were, you know, fairly close to each other. But then, yeah, you have to worry about everything that's going on at home, the bills that you have there. I mean, it's luckily for me balancing golf and studying for school in college, um, really helped me learn time management and, and to, you know, kind of write things down and do, you know, kind of keep a checklist of things that I got to do and, I was able to stay somewhat organized and, um, but no, it is tough. You know, it's the life we chose, but it's, it's not glamorous at all on, yeah. on the mini tours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, well, I imagine it's just not glamorous. Uh, you know, there's times when even being on the PGA tour with all the travel that you have to do, you know, everyone sees that some, everyone sees kind of, uh, how glamorous it is for the top 20 in the world or whatever, you know, they are flying private from tournament to tournament and they're, you know, staying in really nice houses week week to week. And, but the guys who aren't, I mean, you know, we're still with families at home and trying to still pinch dollars where we can. And, you know, we're staying comfortably in hotels or whatever, but, you know, we're flying and every weekend we're flying and, you know, sometimes, you know, not always in first and, you know, you're in coach and middle seats. I mean, especially when you miss the cut, 
missing yeah. the cut on uh, Friday is like uh, middle seat Friday. It seems to be <laughs> usually <laughs> the only ones that are left. Yeah, so it's but, almost like you uh, you put salt in the wound. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, that's I, I. Whenever I fly, I love to get an aisle seat. So I can't imagine when you get the last dibs and you just. <laughs> and of course, now you have to give me a story about being in the middle seat and being sat next to, next to some guy that looks at you like, "Hey, don't I know you from somewhere?" And because <laughs> like, didn't I just see you on TV or something like that? I mean, what, what's the? Can you give me one of the worst middle seat stories after missing a cut of a tournament? Fortunately, nobody's done that, but I've landed in Memphis. That's where I usually fly out of sure. on a uh, on a Friday night and walking through the Memphis airport. I've been, hey, Austin, what, what are you doing here? I was like, really? Oh, you know God. what I'm doing here? I missed the cut. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten that a few times. Like, I get back home, you know, back to Jonesboro and go out to the course on Saturday. They're like, I thought you were playing. Oh. Yeah, well, you... I was playing. You're right. You uh, evidently didn't pay attention. I missed the cut. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a uh, hometown kid getting the love and support from his local uh, community. Right. Exactly. Man, they need to follow you a little bit more on Instagram and Twitter. We'll, we'll take care of that, too, when this podcast gets out. That works. Yeah. Don't say anything friendly to Austin Cook on a Saturday morning at a golf course if it's not on TV. So, um, <laughs> man. So, you're... Uh, so let's let's move past the, the the mini tours and let's talk about some some fun stuff on the PGA tour. Um, you know, you're not the prototypical bomber as you just pretty much said. Uh, you drive it uh, straighter than you'll probably admit. So your stats are pretty damn good as far as uh, hitting fairways. But you know, you pick up this win in your I guess it's your fourth official start as a member of the PGA tour. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that that uh, victory, but. How important is it for a player like yourself to be able to get that win? You're you're exempt. You have two years. How important is it to be able to pick courses that fit your game? Do you sit down with a team and run analytics on courses? Like how cerebral do you get, and how how do you treat that process so that you're set up to play the best courses for your game? Not quite like Bryson. Um, okay. I, wow. I, I don't. I, that I was don't. totally unprompted. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, we're gonna have some I fun. don't have uh, my, uh, you know, I'm not running formulas or anything. <laughs> we, um, I think that the most uh, analytical we get is <laughs> I asked my caddy. You know, Kip Henley is my caddy, and he oh, yeah. he was on tour for 11 years with uh, Brian Gay, and my game is very similar to Brian's. With you know, I mean, he, he I hit it a little bit further than he does, but besides that. We play very similar styles of golf, and um, I really rely on him and other caddies that are, you know, his friends or my friends. Just like, hey, Kip, you know, of these four, you know, I want to take a break in one of these four. Um, which one fits our game the least, okay. or which one would be the best one for us to take off? And we kind of we talk about it, and you know, most of these golf courses I haven't been to. Um, so this year we are trying to play a little bit more events than I would like to just see more golf courses. Yeah. Um, and then we can kind of pick and choose next year based on what, you know, my own opinion, not somebody else's opinion. And so, um, you know, like these next few weeks, travelers, quick and loans, Greenbrier and John Deere. Um, I didn't want to play all four of those in a row. So we kind of talked and talked to a couple other people and, um, came to the decision that the um, course for the Quicken Loans this year would probably be the best one for us to take off. So right. that's the one that we're going to skip this year, and we're going to play 
Travelers, Greenbrier, and um, John Deere, and see if we can work our way into the uh, British Open. Nice, nice. So, so interesting. So, you're kind of using your the the uh, privileges that you get from being a, a winner on the PGA Tour you're, as a as a rookie. You're kind of using that as a way to get into as many tournaments as you want to, and use mm-hmm. that for future knowledge of saying, okay, let's go try this one. Let's see how the course mm-hmm. sets up, and even if it doesn't work out, I miss the cut. Um, I, I, maybe I do make the cut or whatever, but it's a more of a learning experience to say, okay, um, this is one I need to put on the calendar in the next five years, 10 years, this one really fit my, or this one, you know, that's not really for me. So is it? Yes, exactly. That's okay. Interesting. Um, very much, but there's a fine line between that because, you know, we obviously would like to be the top 50 in the world. Sure. You know, because if you get in that category, you get all the WGCs and everything. Yep. Um, so it, it's in the way that the uh, world golf rankings work is they take the amount of events you've played the last two years, or sorry, the amount of points you've accumulated and divided it by the amount of tournaments that you have played. Well, at this point, my divisor is very high. That's why you see guys who come straight from college who haven't played any world golf ranking tournaments and they play well really quick. Well, and they earn a lot of points really quick. Well, that's why they're way up in, you know, the world rankings. There's a mathematical system behind it. Yeah. You know, guys who come off the web for, I was out there for two whole years. Well, my divisor is the highest that it can be. And the amount of world golf points that I've earned is, is, is small as well because there's not a whole lot of points on the web. And then, so this year we're trying to play enough events to give ourselves a great chance to get to East Lake, but limit them to where we can start getting our divisor down the next few years to where, you know, when we win again, we'll be able to jump the world ranking points more than we did this last time with the the win in um, Sea Island. Yeah. So, I mean, and it sounds like the person that the, the poster child for this formula situation is John Rahm. Yes, he did a great job with it. I mean, obviously, but I mean, most of those guys who get the starts out of college, I mean, they're incredibly talented guys. Oh yeah. I mean, you don't. He doesn't get handed the wins. I mean, he's won. He won like four or five times last year. Oh, so, of course. But just I like mean, he still has, still has great capability and talent. But it's easier to jump the world golf rankings whenever you've only played twenty tournaments. You know that go to that earn world golf points. So you win at the RSM in Sea Island. This mm-hmm. is your first victory. Uh, it's your fourth tournament since getting your card. Um, you win by four. Uh, you never saw the golf course on Friday. You 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 never saw it in shot sixty two. Um, how how you doing that? Uh, wh- wh- <laughs> okay, there's a little backstory behind yeah, it. Yeah, help me out with um, that one. So. We played there in college for SECs every year. So our SEC championships our conference championship was held at the Sea Island Golf Course every year. So I did play it for four years, um, you know, previous to coming. Okay. So I had, I think, 16 rounds on it. Okay. But um, the week of, I, I didn't realize that uh, booking my schedule, that it was two golf courses that we played, and we were coming from Mexico, and um, we were flying over on Monday instead of late Sunday night. And we got we got to Georgia at about, 10 o'clock at night on uh, Monday and I was, and I wasn't in the pro-am on Wednesday. So we played the golf course that I hadn't seen on Tuesday and just re- relied on 
you know, Kip's memory and my memory to play Sea Island. Yeah. So, and, and obviously you win that thing by four. I, I actually remember watching that and I'm just like, man, this guy ain't going anywhere. He's just not cracking at all. And just every single hole just seems like another fairway, another green, either make a putt or tap in for par. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I guess my, one of the questions I have for you is when did it really sink in that, Hey, I can win out here. I mean, you, you've been through these Monday qualifiers. You had great success on the web. Um, mm-hmm. is, do you remember a specific time, whether at a qualifier on the web that it really hits you said, yeah, I can do this. Um, I think when it hit me that I could have a career out here, um, I just have to get here was my first ever event, you know, through Memphis, okay. um, in 2014, you know, finishing how I did, I was like, okay, I know that, you know, these guys don't play as great of golf all the time as you think they do right. you know on tv they're always showing highlights and so seeing a first person like i said everybody's a great player out here but they just don't have they're not playing incredibly caliber golf every day and um everybody will get hot for a couple weeks or you know have a few great rounds but they kind of you know not necessarily fizzle off, but just kind of slow down a little bit for a couple of weeks. You go through a slump, then you come back. But then the next year in 2015, whenever I played, you know, I had, I think, seven events that year and a couple top tens with those, I realized that, you know, I can really actually compete out here. And, you know, yes, I finished, you know, sixth or seventh or whatever I did, but I know four shots that I just threw away and I clean up my, you know, my game just a little bit, then I could be a winner out here. And I think 2015 is when I really, really, really knew that, um, once I get to the PGA tour, I have a good chance of, of playing really well and, and competing week in and week out and, you know, could possibly win. That, that'll definitely, uh, uh, make it clear if you're getting a top 10, your first ever event, uh, you've mentioned your caddy, Kip Henley. Uh, he's been around for, quite some time uh that's not an age joke on kip henley i don't want to run after <laughs> me on twitter or anything but uh how did you get hooked up with with kip and speak to the importance of having a veteran caddy as a rookie especially a guy that caddied for brian gay as you said similar similar game i mean can you speak to the importance of kip henley so kip he used to be a club pro kip yeah. did in tennessee and um one of the local club pros in jonesville arkansas um was an assistant in his little group that they had. I think they were managing a few different courses and, um, he was an assistant pro at one of the courses and they worked together. And, um, he knew that Kip was between bags and, um, he was like, Hey Austin, you want me to just call him and see if, you know, see if he wants to talk and, you know, you all kind of hook up. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't have anything else. Any other, leads right now on a, on a veteran caddy so you know we called we got in, in touch with each other um certain things that he said whenever we were on the phone i really appreciated and really liked um you know he's been with a veteran for you know 11 years and veterans typically pay a little bit more than rookies do or can um and he was willing you know he was willing to come off of that a little bit you know what he had been making the past few years as long as I agreed, you know, when we played better to, in, you know, increase his pay a little bit. Sure. And that was something that I really appreciated because I've seen some guys say, 
no, this is my price, take it or leave it. I'm not you know, willing to work with you. Um, so I appreciated that aspect of it. And, I, and you know, it, that kind of let, helped me believe um, that he's not out here, you know, not trying to take advantage of, you know, my situation. And, right. and he's, you know, trying to be a team player um, with that. And, you know, I really appreciated that. And we kind of, he came to the first event, we missed the cut. Um, and he had been rinsed the last couple of years at that golf course. He was like, Oh no, this is going to be three years in a row. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to do that because it was, you know, it's hard to get a connection with somebody in one event and, you know, you're still trying to figure each other out. Of course. And, um, then we went on and we made the next, I don't know, seven cuts that we played together and, um, had a win on the eighth one. So, you know, it, and then, that's kind of how we got hooked up. And then, you know, the importance of having a guy that's been in certain situations. Um, I think, you know, I played so well that week that I probably could have won with somebody else. No, don't say but, that out loud. Kip might be listening to this. It's all because. Of no, Kip. but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but having his expertise out there and, and, you know, you know, I, I, I say that because I played so well. I mean, I right, hit, right. it was just so, such great ball striking for me that week. But, you know, him and I, we read greens together, and we were reading them the same that week. Um, and then, you know, trying to figure how to manage our way around the golf course. You know, he'd been on that golf course plenty of times. He, I had been on that course a few times. So we were able to really just – we were really just synced that week. Yeah. And um, things just kind of went in our favor. You know, he was dead. It was, it was a difference between um, – a rookie or a younger caddy and a veteran caddy um, are just not necessarily what they say. It's how they say it. Of course. Um, like last week um, in Memphis, we were struggling getting the ball to the hole a few times, you know, or, or on putts that obviously are downhill, they're down grain. They're going to be really fast. Chip hasn't had luck in his career saying, Hey boss, it's fast. You know, just be careful with that. Usually, when he says that, I, I leave it short. Sure. And we were on the um, putting green, and he asked Phil Mickelson, he said, hey, um, do you like it when guys say, you know, hey, look, it's fast, you know, be careful. Right. And so it was, you know, it, it depends on when and how you say it. If I've already read the putt and I'm about to hit the putt and you go, last second, don't remember, yeah. don't forget it's fast, that's the inappropriate time to say it. Of course. Um, he goes, now I don't mind it whenever I'm in the process of reading my putt and I'm still trying to figure out the putt and you say that, and then I have time to kind of add that into you're still gathering the equation or whatever that you're, you're having in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, so difference between, you know, great caddies and, and, and good caddies are just really when they say things and how they say it, not necessarily what the meaning is behind it. Right. Um, so, you know, to have him out there, it was very comforting, um, you know, especially Sea Island. Whenever I, he first signed on, you know, I never prepared for a tournament thinking that I could win um, or expecting to sure. win, I guess. Sure, yeah. He, you know, it almost made me uncomfortable the first few times, you know, we're on the golf course and he's like, you know, it was every week. And he was like, oh, we're going to win this week. And just getting that thought in my mind, like, oh, we're going to win. We're going to do this. We're going to win. I'm like why are you saying that? Like, no, the, the, <laughs> let's not think about that, you know? Yeah. Let's, and lo and behold, eight tournaments into us, 
being together, you know, I won. It was a little bit different mindset that I'd ever had, you know, going into an event. Usually I'm like, oh, I just want to make the cut and finish up high. And, you know, that's, that's a good chunk of change. And, yeah. you know, that's a good, good week. No, you know, it, so changing our mindset, getting it more into winner's mentality um, instead of um, just being there just to play in the event. Right. Well, it's the same thing if, you know, if you aim for first place and you end up in 10th, great, but don't aim for 25th or 30th, then you'll find yourself on that cut line or below it. And, you know, exactly. Right. So don't play to make the cut, play to win the tournament. Absolutely. All right. So you have, you've said so many, you've said great things about Kip Henley, uh, how he has really, uh, you know, helped you with your mindset on tour and, and help you, uh, around courses that he has experience on that you may not. Uh, we don't want to say too many nice things to inflate his ego a little bit. So give me, <laughs> give me a marginally embarrassing story about, about your caddy Kip Henley that, you know, he's not going to be too upset to hear about on a podcast. Oh man. Uh, and if, and if you need time to weigh the options and run some analytics, <laughs> call Bryson, come up with a good story. You let me know, but, um, but yeah, give me give me one just like really, dude. Really? Um man. I I'm gonna have an issue with this. This could be the hardest question. Well, it, it, is it because you can't find one or yet is that you have fifteen and you've got to pick the right one? <laughs> no, I'm sure there's a couple of them out there. I just I mean, we've had all sorts of, you know, funny times in you know, in a practice round or something, but I don't remember anything that he Okay, well, what you know, about it? Well, goofed me, on. Yeah, well, tell me about a prac. Tell me about practice rounds. You know, uh, you know, there's the. I think it was golf. I just had some issue or story, or they had some story about all the money games that go on on Tuesdays, and if you're in Phil's inner circle with Ricky and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. give me an idea what your what your practice rounds are like. Do you look for veterans to play practice rounds with? Do you have your own kind of a set game uh, or, or a set group? Uh, give me an mm-hmm. idea what what your typical practice round dynamic looks like. So typically for me, um, we play on Tuesdays, and um, I just try and get out there fairly early in the morning. Um, sometimes I'll make a game, um, you know, schedule one or get one set up on Monday. But uh, usually it's you know show up, you know, Tuesday morning, and and if somebody's out there to play with, fine. If not, then you know we're going and. I just have, I need to be done by, you know, a certain time on Tuesday for, you know, an interview or, you know, a, an appearance or because I want to go do something in the afternoon or something sure. like that. Um, but, you know, I, yes, if there's a veteran out there, I definitely like to try and play with them um, or playing in a group and, you know, having a little game going. Um, it's, you know, that's always fun as well. And, you know, I do have a, a, a somewhat group that I do like to play with. Um, you know, Andrew Landry is a really good friend. Um, David Lingmers is a really good friend. I played with David. Um, Andrew was a graduate or left in 09 and I came in 09 and right. he kind of stuck around. Um, we were on the Adams tour together. Uh-huh. So there's, there's some guys that, you know, I, I do really enjoy playing with. Um, and we've played some practice rounds with some veteran guys that I really enjoy playing with those guys. Um, it's just easier to text a buddy and say, Hey, you want to, sh- you want to show up at eight in the morning let's go about nine o'clock. Yes. Okay, cool. See you then. Um, so that's about, you know, the extent of me asking people to play or whatever. Um, I won't, I won't go up to somebody on, you know, Sunday night and see them or, or, 
uh, Monday morning when I see him and say, Hey, do you want to play tomorrow at, you know, X, Y, you know, certain time. Sure. Um, the only time that we did that was at the masters and, and we tried asking a couple people, you know, we got there on Friday and, and we're like, Hey, this week, if you, you know, you're going out to play nine and you have a, a you know, another, a spot for one more guy, you know, let us know. Um, we'd like to play with you. And, you know, one of those was Jason day. Yep. Um, and so just to try and, you know, play with a veteran at, at that course, see what they see in the golf course and how they navigate that kind of thing. Are you being a rookie being early on in your, in your PGA career, are you going out there for those practice rounds more so as learning the course and just do, getting as much work done as you can, or are you trying to keep it light and, you know, play for a couple of bucks just to keep it interesting or, or, you know, what's your mindset at this point of your career going into practice rounds? It really depends on the golf course. Augusta, obviously I was really trying to learn a lot sure. and figure things out. Um, most golf courses and tournaments, I just like to see the golf course. Um, I just want to see all the holes. Um, I do a little bit of chipping or a little bit of lag putting, but there's no guarantee that you're going to hit it in that spot or, you know, be in that situation. I just try and get a good feel for the conditions of the golf course, you know, the rough length and chipping out of that, the bunkers, you know, coming out of those. Um, but I just really want to just see every hole and, uh, kind of see what's all around the green or what's all around the hole. Um, you know, I do like to play, you know, a little game with some guys just to, that way I don't, you know, I think that's one thing I will say about Kip and myself because we suck at practice rounds. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I don't hit the ball great. I'm not focused. So if you play a little bit of a game with somebody, then you focus a little bit more. Yeah. Um, he is all over the map during a practice round. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not focusing hitting hitting you know shots like I want to. Well, he's <laughs> yeah. you know not getting the pins, and I'm like, hey, Kip, I need a ball. You know, he's like, oh, something new we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We play with a golf ball. Um, so I think if, if I have anything to say about Kip and myself, uh, then it, it's, we really are terrible at practice rounds, but once that flag goes up, we both focus in and then we're good to go. There you go. Um, but no, I just, like I said, I just like to go out and see the golf course. Um, if it's the practice round slow and we have three holes to go, I'll be like, Kip, you can go in. I'm just going to walk these three holes. I'm, I'm tired of it's on hour six and we've only gotten yeah. through 15 holes. I'm done with this. So, you know, practice rounds for me are just, just to see the course. There are guys who really like to put the hole down where all the pins are going to be. Um, I'm like, you know that, yeah, if I can get a gist for the greens, that's great. But come Thursday, you know, the wind can be complete opposite and you're hitting completely different clubs into holes you know, every day they move the tees to different spots, the pins in a different location. You know, every day the conditions are different. So I'm not worried about, oh, I need to hit driver off this spot, tee box, or I have to, you know, hit three wood or, you know, this is a par hole or because it could change sure. every day. So I'm more about this is where we would like to get it to in the fairway at this link. So on Thursday we'll hit whatever we need to to get here. You know, not necessarily we have to hit driver here or something like that. Right. So but you mentioned the Masters, you know, you, picking up that win at RSM gets you into the Masters this year. And I, I'm sure that you've been asked and I could ask all the typical questions of, 
you know, what was it like when you got the, the card in the mail and what was Magnolia Lane like? Magnolia mm-hmm. Lane like? Let's just assume that you're over the moon with that and we can move on to, to one of the questions I really wanted to ask. You know, you missed the cut, which, hey, you're a rookie. It's your first time there. There's so much to learn at Augusta National. But um, if I didn't look closely and just saw, okay, MC, that's it. But you had the opening group on Thursday morning. And you were mm-hmm. with Wesley Bryan, and you were with uh, I'm, I'm Ted Potter Jr. Yeah, you're t- you're with you're with Ted Potter Jr. and Wesley Bryan. You're the opening group. You birdie your first hole, but let's start, let's go back to before that tee shot. You're literally right there, 15 or 20 minutes after the honorary starters. Were you there yeah. when Nicholas and Player hit their opening shot? I was there, but I could not see. Okay. So we were. I was. I was. I was walking uh, from the clubhouse. Um, through the sea of people to the putting green to you know do my last minute sure. putting before I go play and um, I heard uh, the last tee ball be whacked and you know the clapping and and I just couldn't see him and I was a little bummed about that okay. that I couldn't see him but um, I was there in spirit and you know I was attempting to be there they they hit the tee balls a little sooner than I thought they were okay. Um, they hit it about 15, 20 minutes before tea time, not, you know, 10 minutes. Right. And, um, which there's, you know, that's fine. Sure. I just, I was just thinking that, you know, they were going to still be there and, and introduce them whenever we were putting, you know, 20 yards away. But that, but that had to have probably been the most unique start to a tournament. Forget the fact that it's the masters, but you just look over and I mean, you, you didn't see him hit him, but, but yeah, that's Nicholas and player yeah. right there. Well, it was awesome, and you know, most of those people stuck around um, to watch the first tee shot as well for the actual tournament. Oh, that's an, and, extra, uh, bit, that's an extra bit of fun for you in your first tee yeah, shot. Yeah, so the all Masters. these people are here, and I, I stripe it right down the middle. <laughs> seven iron up there, great, and make the putt to have the lead in the Masters, and it all went downhill from there. <laughs> oh, come on! I mean, I mean so uh, for, for as far as play goes, yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I guess. You know, I could ask a lot of questions about, uh, uh, you know, the, the typical first experience at the Masters, and everyone says how hilly and undulating it is. Um, other than the play, just being on site, is there anything that you can think of to mention that most people would not have any idea about Augusta National or about the Masters? The security. Okay. I mean, it was, I mean, I expected, you know, it to be high, but it was really high. Um, for, they do a good job there. For, um, for, for, for just for, for players trying to get in or for, for the, for the, oh, patrons well, everything. Or? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I guess people trying to get in, um, you know, for us pulling it down Magnolia lane, there was, you know, two checkpoints for us to go through that we had to get our badges scanned twice, um, or, you know, looked at twice. Um, you know, they have those, uh, big, 12 inch beams that or pillars that come in and out of the, the ground to where you can't drive your car right, and you got to right. wait for them to go down. Yeah. It was, uh, just how secure they had it there and, and just then like to get in to eat or, you know, certain places of the clubhouse. Um, but I mean, rightfully so it's the masters and every, oh, yeah. you know, people are going to try and abuse the system, but, uh, the security and then along with that is just the hospitality. I mean, everybody was so great there. Um, so nice. All the volunteers and all the, workers at Augusta National, you know, the 
from the waiters and waitresses to the people in the um, pro shop. I mean, they were all great and very uh, helpful. You're playing in your first Masters. You're a rookie. What's the most random ticket request that you received? Like, I'm sure once you got that win, everyone knows where you're going in April. Um, I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, your phone just is blowing up, and you got way more friends than you ever thought you knew you had, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a couple of them, but it wasn't nearly as bad as, or, you know, as many people as I was expecting. Um, I think a lot of people understood that between myself and my wife's family, um, we got a lot of people that we had to take care of sure. and <laughs> wasn't going to be able to do anything for anybody else. Just to kind of wrap things up, you know, you're, you're a rookie on the PGA tour, but you've, you've made tremendous strides with your, uh, your charity work. You're a recent ambassador for St. Jude hospital. You just had, I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, that's a, that's a kind of a dream start to that relationship. And then you, you back it up with a T six at the tournament itself. Um, you know, you have, uh, the relationship with them. How did that come, come to, come to be? And tell me what you're doing for St. Jude. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, with us, we're in Northeast Arkansas. We're an hour from, um, pretty much the St. Jude Children Research Hospital. So I've known many people or multiple people from home who have, you know, gone over there for, because they, you know, have cancer or their child has cancer and they need, you know, treatment. And so I've seen a lot of people firsthand who St. Jude's has benefited and helped. And, um, you know, their whole cause and what they do, you know, for the families and everybody where nobody pays a single dime um, who are coming in for treatment. The family doesn't, you know, pay anything. St. Jude covers it all. Um, Not only having the relief of financially, you know, and, and accommodating all, you know, the family and everything whenever the kid comes in for treatment, but also having such a high success rate nowadays and all the research they have done into um, curing these certain cancers and finding treatments for them. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, the strides that they have made in the medical field. And it's such, I mean, you know, one day their goal is to be have a 100% uh, curable rate. And, you know, until that day comes, you know, we, keep we need St. Jude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they need, they still need, you know, money to be able to, um, cover the cost of it. Uh, one day, I think is over a million dollars that they need for just one day to run the hospital. And they, or it's definitely over a million dollars. And so just being so close to St. Jude and it's being such a great relationship for a lot of people that I know personally, um, you know, it was something that I really wanted to get behind and, and support. Um, at home, we have a, there was a family who lost a child at, um, in the eighth grade to a very rare form of brain cancer. And she had a brain tumor. And, and to this day, it's still not, it's still one of those that they haven't found a cure for. Yeah. Um, and so this family, they started this uh, St. Jude Super Bowl extravaganza. So it's a big Super Bowl party that we have. And, you know, we bring in, 20 to 30 big um, rotisserie smokers um, and we grill ribs and chicken and, and, you know, sausage. And um, we usually have uh, a group come up and do crawfish and, and we have a live auction and a silent auction and then the ticket sales. 
and between all the stuff that's donated and, and, and the ticket sales and the price, you know, what people pay for the live auction and silent auction, all the proceeds go to the, um, St. Jude. And I think over the 25 years that we've had this event, the, we have now donated over $5 million. If I'm not inaccurate, wow. I think it's over $5 million to St. Jude, which, you know, over 25 years, you're going, okay, that's not a whole lot, but coming from Jonesboro, Arkansas and, and just what they have done, this family has done for the hospital. I mean, it's an unbelievable accomplishment and I'm happy to be a part of it. That's great. That's uh, yeah, that's one of the best charities out there and, and, and rightfully so. And that's, it's fantastic that you're getting involved with a charity like that so early in your career. I mean, you're, you're trying to get your feet wet. You're trying to, to, you know, make a living and you're still mm-hmm. going back. So that's, that's fantastic. So you're also a, <laughs> um, not to laugh about this, but you know, uh, the other, one of the other, uh, you know, charities or, or one of the other, um, uh, you're an ambassador for Manuka doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of this. And then I did some research on it and you kind of met this doctor when you're on Necker Island, hanging out with Richard Branson. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and, and, I've, and I've looked on your Instagram, I've done my research and there's you and your wife hanging out with Richard Branson, explaining uh-huh. the dynamic of, you know, a, 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 a kid that went to school at Arkansas and you're on Necker Island hanging with Sir Richard Branson, who, I mean, he's, you know, virgin air and, and virgin records. And I even think he owns extra virgin olive oil. I mean, he just, anything that says virgin, he, he runs that. So explain the dynamic of hanging out with him and what is that guy like? Yeah. So, um, I guess about a week before the event was, to be held a couple of years ago. Um, one of the guys pulled out from coming, um, one of the, the golfers. Sure. And I got a phone call. Uh, my manager called and, you know, had a relationship with these people already and, and pitched my name and they're like, yeah, let's bring them. And so myself and my wife got to go down and, um, you know, we met these, uh, this group, the Manuka doctor group. They were the title sponsor of the event. And they were there for the golf side of it. You know, there's a golf side of this and there's a, there's a tennis side of it. And, um, you know, Richard on his Island has a couple, um, artificial grass tennis courts. So all these guys come down there and, and, or people, men and women come down to play and, you know, have tennis clinics and, and a tennis pro-am and just hang out. And, you know, Richard's Island has one rule and that's pretty much just to have fun. And, um, so, you know, we went down there for this and, you know, we went the first day to Puerto Rico, played 18 holes. And then we go over, the, the golf group goes over to the island to hang out and, um, for the rest of the week. And we do these skills challenges around the island because he doesn't have, you know, any type of golf course on that island. And so, um, you know, we'll do our skills challenge in the morning and the afternoon is pretty much, you know, have fun, do what you want. You know, there's all these celebrities and, and famous tennis pros and, you know, very well-known business people at this thing. And, um, and then obviously Richard Branson and, you know, he's, he was very accommodating and very nice. And, you know, it was, uh, we didn't, he's very busy that week cause sure. he's kind of bouncing all over. Um, the times that we got to talk to him, he's very nice. Um, he was awesome to talk to. Uh, he saw probably for some of the pictures he was, you know, into taking some goofy pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, we just had a, it was, I mean, it's just a magical island. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so beautiful all around there. 
Nice, and, nice, um, nice little know, perk, right? Yeah, exactly. Half of the island, you know, he's he doesn't want to touch because very he's a big humanitarian. Yeah. Um, you know, saving the species, doing all this. They have golf balls that we hit out into the ocean that turn into fish, fish food. food you're sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it was gosh, it was such a cool experience. And that kind of started the relationship with these Manuka doctor guys. And the next year, we they invited us back because they were the title sponsor again. And them and myself had a little bit of a relationship. And um, we got to go back this last year, but um, his island was, and the surrounding islands were destroyed by the hurricane. Yeah. So we went to uh, the Bahamas and uh, to Bahamar this last year. Yeah. You're uh, you're also uh, an ambassador for Oakley, and speaking mm-hmm. of someone that that um, I wear sunglasses, uh, you know, whenever I'm outside, and and I've been wearing Oakley glasses for for gosh forever. But uh, you know, I remember when I was was playing my high school golf and my college golf, and I. You know, uh, you know, this is going to definitely show my age. And by the way, I'm quite a bit older than you. But, uh, you know, I remember seeing David Duvall wearing the Oakley wraparounds and just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I remember and he had the, they came to the point on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just this, the, the, the face shield of Oakley, so to speak. Yeah. And the uh, I think I still have one of those lying around somewhere. And they're just I can't even believe it. People would wear stuff like that, just like a welding shield. <laughs> Um, but you know, you have that. And then I just remember when, when Freddie was, was doing his thing in the, uh, in the nineties, just Ashworth, just like, just looked like the coolest thing ever. But when, uh, and I guess my question and what I'm getting to is, you know, you're ambassador for Oakley. Um, how, how excited were you when that thing was coming to, to pass? I mean, were, did you just wear Oakley's all the time in, in high school and, and junior and college golf? I mean, uh, how did that whole situation come to pass and how excited were you when, uh, when you became an ambassador for Oakley? Yeah, that's definitely, um, the glasses that I've always worn, right. you know, athletic glasses on the golf course, you know, or any other sport that I was doing baseball, um, definitely was Oakley's all the way. Yeah. And, um, this year, um, you know, I'd met, uh, you know, they come out to tournaments and, and, you know, provide guys with glasses, you know, to about, uh, probably say like every five tournaments or something, they're out there. Uh, the big ones, Oakley's there. And and so I had a little bit of a relationship with, you know, just meeting a couple of the guys and getting glasses from them over the last couple of years. But this year, um, meeting Al um, and, and kind of some of the group and, and um, looking for clothes, and, and they were um, very interested in, in me as well. And, um, you know, they sent me some gear, and it, fit so well and i mean it feels it feels great yeah i love the pants um because they're 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 a little slimmer fitting but they're still um very stretchy so i mean you know there's no restriction in them or anything and um they have a lot of great shirts and designs and you know when they first sent me the first shipment of a few things i was like yeah we're you know as a trial run i was like yeah this is what I want because, you know, it fits great. It looks great. Um, and they're a great company and, you know, a big company. So, you know, being able to be with those guys and, um, hopefully have a long relationship with them. Um, I really look forward to it and, you know, 
maybe we can get a little Austin Cook line or something going. There you, you go. Know. Yeah, we're, yeah, I'm still I'm, <laughs> before I'm, long. Yeah, I'm still waiting to hear back from them on the Back of the Range Golf Podcast line. I'm sure it's coming right after the Austin <laughs> Cook line. I, I know it's it's next on their list of things to do. Um, yeah, size thirty six is mine. By the way, anyway, so um, so we're gonna move to the uh, to the to the quick bucket. It's a little uh, quick section before we get you out of here. Just some random questions. Um, it's a little bit different because most of the people that I'm interviewing are not currently on the PGA tour. So this one, I'm not sure how this one's going to go, but, uh, okay. uh I, I've asked this question, uh, to just about every, actually every single guest. Um, so Jack Nicholas won the masters in 1986 at the age of 46. Compare that victory to a potential fifth green jacket of tiger woods, which would be the more substantial victory. I think at this moment, tiger, because of what he's gone through in the middle of his career. Yeah. I think that would be a bigger win for it for tiger. Okay. Uh, we're going to skip the second question because it's, if you can give a major to anyone <laughs> okay. in history and, uh, you know, normally I say you can't choose yourself, but damn it, you can choose yourself for that. So, oh yeah, I can definitely choose myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was wondering how these questions were going to go. I was like, well, he better say himself. If not, we got a problem there. But, uh, so the, the other question I just kind of wanted to ask you and, um, you know, most tour players in, in interviews, when you see them talking about what they want to accomplish in their careers, you know, they want to obviously win often. They want to win majors, want to be the best player in the world. You know, you've been on tour for, for a bit and you've seen the reality of what those top 20 guys, 15 guys, you've seen the reality of what their life is like. Um, I know you want the trophies, but do you want to be as identifiable as, the, the guys up there like, like Rory and DJ, or, uh, you know, do you want the trophies, but still want to be anonymous? What kind of uh, career as far as off the course are you looking for? Oh man. Yeah. Um, you know what those guys go through and how they kind of have to tiptoe around life outside of golf, just because of, you know, not necessarily tiptoe, but kind of hide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, and, and you know, the, with what they're doing in life, you know, comes a lot of money, but you know, there's not, there's a lot of freedom in what they can, they do get hassled a lot with, you know, pictures or, or not necessarily hassled, but they get asked a lot for pictures and autographs and their time and this and that. And, you know, that would be tough. But, um, if it came from, you know, me playing great golf and being able to give back and stuff, then I, yeah, I would love to do that. Well, that's a, that's a very fair and honest and, and very realistic answer. Um, well, Austin, I can't thank you enough for, for the time. Uh, um, you know, best of luck to you the rest of the season. I know you're, you're working hard to get into the, to the British Open. Uh, Zach Carnoustie, I've played Carnoustie. What do you know about Carnoustie before I let you go? Not a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about any of those courses over there. It, it's uh, yeah, it, well, I hope you get over there. It's it's going to be uh, it'll be a great test and a great challenge. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us here at the back of the range. We'll follow you. We wish you the best the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to Austin Cook. Wishing the best of luck this weekend at the Greenbrier. Remember, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're everywhere. And if you'd like to get some back-of-the-range merchandise, maybe a towel or a hat, shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. I'll see what I can do for you. In the meantime, I hope you all have a great week. We'll see you again next time here at the Back of the Range.